0: Welcome to the Month End, a CPG community chat. The Month End will provide emerging CPG brands, real-life knowledge into the accounting, finance, and operational worlds. Our guests will be key stakeholders from those same brands, as well as other key contributors to the industry, all of which have vast experiences and insights that will be shared with the audience. All right, welcome to episode 10 of the Month End podcast. Very excited to have Melissa Batelli from Jar Goods on the show this week. How you doing, Melissa?
1: I'm great. Thank you so much for having me.
0: For sure. For sure. Very excited to talk a little bit about Jar Goods and the venture you guys have been on and, and to get dive into the whole kind of finance accounting and operational aspect of kind of you know the, the target of this podcast. So before we get going, give us a little bit about Jar Goods.
1: Sure. So um, we make ultra premium uh, tomato sauces that are true standouts in this like otherwise huge but Uh, really stale and stagnant category of foods Um, compared to other sauces. Ours contain more tomatoes, more olive oil, and they're thicker, richer, and more flavorful. And they're also the ultimate in versatility. Um, Our greater goal is kind of to breathe new life into ready to cook foods beyond this category. Um, A few years ago, I, I needed really quick foods and I decided that I believed that just because somebody doesn't, needs quick foods doesn't mean they should be relegated to low quality. So that serves as the inspiration, um, behind our brand.
0: Awesome. 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 Um, I'm just looking at your website right now and I'm kind of getting hungry. It's after lunch and I didn't eat lunch, so, um, <laughs> but very cool. Very cool. So, um, you've been in business for what, probably five, six years now. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. We, um, we launched, well, we, we started making our classic red by hand in 2013 in this shared commercial kitchen that was me and my sister-in-law, Laura, Um, and we sold it at farmers markets and it was just really a grassroots effort entirely, you know, not, not necessarily different from any other like food startup or startup, like just really out of our, out of, you know, a garage, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we we started with $150. And honestly, we just kept rolling that over and rolling it over and rolling it over and got a co-packer and um, pounded the pavement and got into stores. Um, I consider us to have officially gone into business in 2015 um, when we released um, products out of a professional co-packer and had more of a brand block than just mm-hmm. one product. Gotcha. So it's been about, uh, yeah, well, almost six years now.
0: And what's your role?
1: I serve in a CEO role. Um, I'm more of a big picture thinker. And then my partner, Laura is more of the ops and she's the COO. She's more of a detail oriented person. So we complement each other in Mm -hmm. that way. Um, That said, like when you have a small company, when you're a startup, everybody does everything. Like you can't, really have defined roles because there's things that need to be taken care of that might not fall in your wheelhouse and you have to rise to the occasion and figure it out um, but officially on paper I'm I serve in the executive role
0: awesome 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 all right let's get into sales channels so clearly the uh, number of sales channels that folks can sell in in the CPG space you know is a lot more now I think than there was six years ago with kind of the online resellers and you know, explosion of Amazon and now post COVID, where ecom has really blown up. You know, even though many people were there before. So, you know, where do you sell your products? Like, what sales channels? You know, have you been in and and you know for how long? And just kind of give a high level of that, and then we'll kind of deep dive into some kind of metrics and kind of favorites and 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 how you succeeded in some of them.
1: Yeah. So I guess um, I'll break it down by percentage. Um, our percentage would be probably 70% retail and that would be through distributors. Um, And then the rest is e-commerce. And that might be through, you know, a wholesale site like FAIR or a, you know, directly through our website or through Amazon, like a third party, direct consumer Mm -hmm. site. Um, That said, we are really having a lot of trouble with KEHI and UNFI, like they are, absolutely abusive. And um, we've kind of had it with them. So now that we have seen consumers flip to being so much more inclined to go to individual brand websites and buy their products, even if it's something as niche as tomato sauce or cereal like Magic Spoon, like people are doing that and they're into it and they're getting behind these brands. So we see this opportunity to flip that, we want to go 70% e-commerce, 30% distribution into brick and mortar retail. Um, one of That's one of our major initiatives right now. And the plus on that is like, in terms of numbers, like you're going to make a better margin typically on um, e-commerce, especially if it's directly to consumer through your website. So mm-hmm. that's another reason why we want to kind of flip that.
0: Awesome. So let's get into the... Uh fun conversation, I guess, of Unify Kahis. So mm-hmm. I'm guessing they are taking a lot of deductions from you guys or what?
1: Yeah, let me tell you a really fun story. So we get like five POs um, a few months ago, I'm talking about like October, 2020. And they kind of raised some red flags because we hadn't opened these distribution centers yet. And we were like, we don't want to open any more distribution centers. We're small, we can't afford it, we can't support it. Um, so my partner did a whole bunch of reconnaissance, found out that it was Amazon had brought one of our products into their like national product mix. And so we're like, we don't know if we want that competition but let's try it, let's see what happens. That was all the information that she got. Then, um, So then fast forward to like mid-February. Kay, he sends us this invoice for our products um, at wholesale price, buy them back from these DCs because they failed to fulfill the orders from Amazon. And so now we're in like a, like, I don't even care about like calling them out right now because it's totally out of control. Their model is broken. They don't want to fix it. I don't know if they even can fix it. Um, and it's like, instead of innovating, they're like, well, let's just abuse the suppliers. And do you know how many like big suppliers out there are like, just take the hit and don't pay attention. Mm-hmm. We have to pay attention because we're small. Definitely. So it's just, it's crazy. It's like legal thievery. And we see a lot of opportunity outside of actual KHE and UNFI, whereas maybe like a few years ago, it didn't exist. And mm-hmm. now we're like, all right, pe- there's other people that are willing to do the 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 think tank type of work to fix the system, as opposed to just abusing suppliers and mm-hmm. like making up, you know. Prior to this, we had seen some really bizarro deductions, and we've won a lot of our um, a lot of our what do you call them? Like when the we disputes the disputes. Yeah, we've won yep. a lot of those, um, but this one is really proving to be tricky. And we're just like sticking to our guns. We're like, we won't be treated like this. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the story with where we're at there. And we're not afraid to walk away if that's what it comes to.
0: Yeah, you're uh, clearly not like, uh, not unlike many other suppliers and, and, and emerging brands around here, uh, around, you know, the market. Um, it's, it's fascinating to see just from my perspective of coming from a finance accounting world where you know, you sell $50,000 and you get paid 30 and you're just like, that doesn't make any sense. And why does that exist? You know? So I, I think clearly there's a, you know, the whole idea of distribution is key, right? Like that, that existed and still exists. Right. But now the d- distribution is completely democratized by the internet. Right. <laughs> and by other sites like fair, Amazon, whatever, you can say, all right, I'm out of here. I can do this, you know? So clearly they're like, you know, a, a big part of their, uh, situation is like, we're going to take you to customers. So now it's like the goal of how to then do I bring customers to my website to jar goods website or things like that, right? So there's a little bit of shift in costing and, and costing to acquire a customer versus other aspect. But you know, the overall kind of lack of transparency in that process, I think is the biggest frustrating point to people just because it's like, well, I'm going to sell this, what am I going to get back and, and not really understanding it. So it's, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, just, your aspect to, you know, uh, other kind of CPG brands out there, like, I think, is it just pay attention, you know, make sure you know what you're signing up for? Like, what would that, that be?
1: Yep. There's so many hidden costs in working with distributors. It's, it's crazy. But also, like, if we really wanted to make this work with the major distributors, we would have to be selling our product at like 150% um, gross profit margin in order to make, you know, the magic number of 40%. And that would make the retail price about, I don't know, let's say $20 a jar. Like, that's not going to work. So in that sense, you know, that the large distributors aren't trying to figure out an alternate model that makes more sense and isn't as abusive. They're just shooting themselves in the foot because it's not going to work out long term.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, at least so, my humble opinion.
0: It's fair. What yeah. it So then now as you're moving towards uh, kind of focus on e-com, what is your kind of plan of kind of getting more into that, you know, that, that side of things, you know, in in getting, you know, acquiring those customers, maintaining those customers, like, you know, keeping your pricing competitive, like how do you visualize or view that or your strategy with that?
1: Well, it's clear that we need to focus more on digital marketing. Um, And we always, you know, we're a modern company. So we've always thought about that, but now, you know, we're just getting more into it, deeper into it. Um, And, Whereas we, you know, were a little more archaic before. We would do, you know, instant redeemable coupons, or we would do store visits and talk to the floor level staff and be like, "Hey, I own this brand. Will you please, you know, recommend us to your customers?" While I really liked that FaceTime and that like direct exposure, um, I think that that's not really like a viable option anymore. And you know. I don't think we totally know what's gonna happen after the pandemic is over, but I do think that people have, even if they weren't digitally native, they are now. Mm -hmm. And it's that much more important to have a presence online in front of everybody's faces, constantly beating them over the head with your message and your product in order to stay relevant, whether we're talking about in stores or e-commerce. So Mm -hmm. um, just, digital marketing in general is, uh, as a focus of ours.
0: Yeah, I got you. Yeah. It's going to be, uh, I do think that the, uh, consumer behavior, um, of buying online has changed forever. Um, just due to the last kind of 12, 15 months of life. Um, you know, those folks that never did now are like, wow, this is so much easier. The folks <laughs> that did, did it more, right. Or are can, can get, going to continue to use it. So, Good stuff there in terms of, um, you know, moving on from a sales side or, you know, inventory side. So what is your guys' kind of inventory or supply chain look like the last kind of several years? What are you doing now? Like, what have you, any enhancements or changes you've done or tweaks or kind of go us through that entire kind of process and timeline from where you started to where you are now from a um, supply chain standpoint from getting your, uh, your product ready to sell?
1: Yeah, for sure. So we work with a co-packer. Um, we we were in the Chobani incubator and something that Hamdi said is and always will resonate with me. Um, he's like, do not build out your own facility until, like don't make it yourself until you're at about 50 million. And that really resonated with me because I thought, is it okay to work with a co-packer? Should we have a food scientist and, and QA and regulatory? And I was so I was really glad to hear that it was still acceptable to work with a co-packer. Um, we are like always cash poor. We have a really unhealthy cash flow because we don't have any money. Um, th- so that means that we always have like just-in-time inventory. Um, and you know what? I think that's kind of the goal with um, a. a product focused company anyways but that said sometimes it does cause some like real stress on us we don't want to disappoint our buyers we don't want to disappoint our consumers by being out of stock on products but that said you have to balance Mm -hmm. um so yeah we have our co-packer we bring it down to our warehouse we fulfill orders in a perfect world we fulfill them straight out of our co-packer but that can't always work um And we, you know, try to stay ahead of demand by a nominal number of days. But like I said, we do have to push POs sometimes and that's okay. And then, um, so for COVID, this really sucked because I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one our entire supply chain was disrupted, our glass, our lids, our ingredients. And it's because people were trying to stay safe and not get sick. So I totally understand it. Um, That said, it was such a stressful time because we were like, well, when, (laughs) you know, like, when can we have our product? Um, We worked through that. And I actually think that our our supply chain now is healthier because of that challenge. And we had to figure out how to talk to buyers and talk to our consumer online and say, we're so sorry um, that we're out of stock. And also we, it also helped us realize like how many people are behind us out there they would contact us and say like I haven't seen your product in stores in so long I'm so sad I'm home all the time I want it and that was really um an uplifting Mm -hmm. you know feedback to get so it was a tough time but it was also it was the best of times it was the worst of times I don't know what else to say (laughs) yeah it's
0: almost like you got that reassurance from the customer that you probably never would have gotten right? If it was continuously in stocks, so you're like, okay, there's people out here, let's go and execute. So I'm, I'm sure some of those, uh, you know, you say it's been healthier now. Is it, is it healthier now because of some of the tweaks you've made? Or is it healthier now because of your, you know, you have better relationships with your suppliers or kind of can you kind of expand upon that a little bit?
1: It's healthier now, just because it was an education on our part. And we were like, okay, our inventory is at this level now. And just looking at trends, looking at how our product was flowing in and out of our warehouse, how fast was it selling, how, how, at what point was Kahee and UNFI and our other distributors ordering from us. Mm -hmm. Um, And just kind of looking at all that data and taking that into account, we haven't had any out of stocks since then.
0: Awesome.
1: Yeah.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So in terms of you mentioned it, right, being cash for, which is normal for a you know, inventory based startup in terms of in, in managing to buy inventory and moving into just in time inventory, or that's basically kind of where you're at, which isn't the worst thing in the world, as long as you're, you know, meeting demand, right, because you're, you're shrinking that cash cycle of when it's cash going out the door for inventory when cash is coming in the door for, for, um, uh, from cons- revenue, right from customers. So, um, like, how do you manage? Are you managing that in spreadsheets? Like, like, what is your process, your system with you and Laura to kind of handle that type of um, that, that stuff?
1: I'm very fortunate to have a husband in tech. So he's built a few little pieces of code for us to kind of use. Um, that said, I mean, they're all based in spreadsheets behind the scenes. So, I mean, Google Sheets is like where I live. Mm-hmm. honestly that's the tool I use the most nothing can take the place of the human mind quite honestly I mean there's lots of things that would probably save a lot of time but I don't think we can afford them so we just really rely on um you know just thinking through things and looking at data
0: mm-hmm. yeah and I think um you know from what I've seen clearly like you know there are systems out there that exist that could help kind of automate um various, you know, reorder points or when to reorder or notify, you know, various people of, of inventory out of stocks or, you know, whatever it is, right? The, uh, you know, what I recommend to to folks is like, do what, get a system in place or a manual process in place that you're going to follow through that you're going to be consistent on that you're going to check in daily or a couple times a day, week, you know, and, and, and just perfect that. Because if you're able to do that, that's typically very sufficient. Don't move to a system that you're not familiar with and in the old system you had never worked for you so now this one isn't gonna Is like the new ones won't work for you you have to be in there every day and do the same level of kind of interaction with it some people yeah. think the plug and play exists no there's too many variables to your point melissa of the human mind of the supplier is reaching out this customer is doing this and there's 16 decision points that need to be made that a system can't do for you so you have to figure that out and make it uh make it work so that, like it, you know it, it the the inventory decisions, the cash decisions, you know, like they're leveraging systems as much as possible. Like clearly for sure, let's do that, but also make sure whatever system you're using, perfect that as much as you can. And and, and typically that's very much sufficient, especially in, you know, in in a business that's growing and that's emerging and that's small, like, right. Like use the resources that that you have to, to, to give you the information, you know, you need to make good decisions.
1: Yep. That is so true. And also on our end, Um, like I said, I'm, I'm less the detail oriented person, but my partner, Laura, at any given point of time, she knows how many cases are at every distributor, every DC. Like she can just tell you like that, which is insane because I, there's no way, like it's just her strength for sure. And there's no way on my end that I would ever, I'd be like, I don't care. (laughs) Mm So, um. You know, to have the complementary personalities and one person who's really detail oriented and one person who's big picture, it just makes so much sense. I would encourage anyone going into business to make sure that you have that that complementing relationship of personalities.
0: I think that's that's a great idea. And if, if you're not complementary, figure out the functions or departments they're gonna be in, you're gonna be in and, and execute at that level. You mentioned the Javani food incubator you guys are in, like. How, how was that experience? Like, what did you learn? You know, you already mentioned something you learned, you know, some takeaways you had, but like, how was that? Like, what else did you kind of learn there? Um, would you recommend it, et cetera?
1: Yeah. Um, so I had applied for it one day when I was just, I had just had a baby and I wanted to be with my daughter so bad, but I took her to daycare and I was like, all right, I just got to get some, I just have to get like one thing done today. And I found, um, I found the application to the incubator it had just launched I submitted it and I like forgot about it. I didn't tell anybody about it. I was just like, whatever, it won't happen. We ended up being handpicked by Hamdi himself, which I'm so proud of because that really speaks to how good our products are. Um, so that was cool. It was a six month program where we were on site with um, at a different Chobani facility each month. And it culminated in Expo West, where we did sort of, you know, a, a pitch session. Um, we at each week in each like week long session was dedicated to a different subject matter. So the first was sales and marketing, the second was finance, the third was, you know, product quality and you know, you know, flow of actual goods. Um, and we learned, I cannot even quantify how much we learned. Um, I don't think that they're accepting any more applications like they might be done programming I'm not sure but I would definitely encourage anyone to find an incubator and try to find something to learn from that's like that's been through it before because they don't teach this in school like I don't care if you went to business school it doesn't matter it's like you know you know, certain things about like the overarching aspects of business, but each industry and each niche has its own um, nuances that you're never going to understand unless you're told like from somebody who's been through it. Mm -hmm. And knowing the pitfalls, knowing the challenges has made us more prepared. Um, And there's so many incubators out there it's, it's just a cool thing to get involved with. And also you, um, you know, it's been like kind of the gift that keeps on giving, you know, we still have access to Chobani mentors and employees, um, to ask them like, Hey, what would you do in this situation? Or do you have a contact here that you would hook me up with? And, um, they've been nothing but supportive and, and just really inspiring as well.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Um, no need to recreate the wheel here. There's a lot of people with a ton of experiences in the space across operations, finance, accounting, sales, marketing, supply chain, op, you know, the, the whole gamut. So leveraging people as much as possible. I know in this day and age with uh, kind of the, the remote situation we, we where society exists today, um, you know, there's still a ton of, you know, remote incubators and remote kind of, you know, Working sessions and weekly check-ins and weekly happy hours or virtual like you know f- find various networking um, or find various networks that exist within the cpg space and and, and go ahead and join them and, and learn a network that you know it's typical like just for any small business you're going to learn something that you had no idea to do um, yeah, yeah. you mentioned the category was stale how do you guys assess yourselves against like the old competitors right like or not even the old but like the new like how do you even look at the category because like i'm I'm very interested in this right you know the the pregos the ragged that existed you know when i was a kid or probably still do i have no idea but um like how do you even get into that or, or assess against you know the the like who is your competitor in the space you know like is does it is do you really have is it those old big dogs or is it something different i'm just kind of wondering how you guys' mindset is with that sir
1: sure. um our competitors are Competitors are definitely a mix. Um, and when, you know, I got really like philosophical when I was trying to figure out how to differentiate us, because that's really what branding is, is just a philosophy and a, a like defining who you are. And um, what I could see was that what we wanted to do was serve people. We wanted to help people get dinner on the table easier, faster, and happier. We wanted to help people that you know, we believed that just because you need quick foods doesn't mean you should be relegated to low quality. And we wanted to kind of ease that tension between the desire to cook from scratch and the like absolute lack of time to do anything even close to it. Mm -hmm. And so what that all really boiled down to was that we want to serve the consumer and help them and what we could see from this category and any subsequent category that we want to move to was that it's all very brand centric. It's not about the consumer. It's about the brand. Rayo's is about their restaurant. Um, Cucina Antigua is about like the old country. Dave's is about like the ingredients that Dave is obsessed with. None of it is about making things better in the in the pantry, in the fridge, in the lives of the consumer. So that's where we decided to differentiate ourselves. And I, you know, like you really have to get pretty like deep and philosophical when you're trying to differentiate and brand yourself. Um, definitely something that we learned in the incubator, and definitely something that was absolutely crucial in our category. Every category is saturated, but ours especially is ridiculous and it's just like the same story being told over and over again. We wanted to tell a different story. Um, The actual recipe of our classic red is, um, is our father-in-law made it at his restaurant in Jersey city. And people were huge fans and used to line up around the block for it and to get their hands on it. And I love that story. That's like my family's story, but that story has been told a million times. So we knew that couldn't be like the crux of our brand. Um, so we figured out a different way and we figured out who we were and who we were going to be in the lives of people that were buying our products and taking them home.
0: It's awesome. That's a super cool. Definitely convenience. Uh, is, is key in, in in the 2021 time frame as well yeah. as you know, but people want you know high quality uh, things that are healthy for them, um, you know, and, and something that's quick and easy. So yeah, good stuff. Um, that that was really cool. Um, so as we're kind of nearing the end here, of the uh, the podcast. Uh, we end, we're going to end like on this as we do with all others. So, can you provide to the audience one do or one recommendation? Um, to anybody starting up a a brand or already in a brand in terms of kind of where your uh, experience, you know, has taken you?
1: Mm -hmm. One do would be, you know, do the hard work in terms of thinking through it, Um, thinking through who you are, who your brand is, and how it's going to fit in the world. Um, Because there's so many good ideas in the world, and there's, but there's not always the right time or they're not always like the right geography. So need to think that through and make sure that it's a good fit with where you're trying to sell a product. Um, And maybe, maybe it's like way ahead of its time. Maybe it's too late and it needs to be tweaked thusly. But I encourage people to do the hard work and think Thinking is like one of the hardest things for people to do, I think sometimes, or face the facts, I think is really hard, Um, but it's important.
0: Yes, agree. And then what about one don't?
1: One don't is like, be careful who you take advice from. There are so many people I have come across who even people close to me that I trust with my life, who I can tell are just beating their chests. And are just like, well, I know about, th- I know, I know about this. And I'm like, okay, all right, sure. Tell me what you think you know. And then I'll take that with a grain of salt. However, there's people that with knowledge that are not just beating their chest and not just, you know, um, trying to lord over another person. And it's important to know the difference and know when it's time to take something with a grain of salt and to take it to heart.
0: <laughs> yeah I think everybody in 2021 um has a lot of opinions and, and clearly there's a lot of people out there in the world which I think some a, a loud minority that likes to share online and tell everybody what they feel and think about something so I, I agree <laughs> totally. a, the level of kind of listening but also having some self-conviction there and kind of you know discernment and making your own decision and everything so
1: yeah absolutely awesome,
0: This was fantastic. Thanks for uh, being on, um, you know, episode 10 of uh, the month-end podcast here. Again, Melissa from Jargoods. Where can we find you online? Like, what can we buy? Like, what's new and exciting with Jargoods? What's going on as we kind of end off here?
1: Sure, so you can buy our tomato sauces, red, spicy, vodka, vegan vodka. And while our beaten basil pesto is currently out of stock, but you can buy those all on jargoods.com. You can also get them on Amazon. You can buy them for wholesale on Fair and on Pod Foods, and you can also find them in stores such as Whole Foods, um, Shoprite, Mom's Organic. Um, you can find our store locator on our website, which again is JarGoods.com, and we would love to hear from you.
0: What is your favorite uh, like recipe with one of like- your, uh, with one of your uh, uh, flavors?
1: Sure, I want to give you two. One is really easy and one's kind of hard. So our classic spicy, I use that to make chili. I literally just like saute some, you know, the mirepoix, carrots, celery, onion, put some beans in there, simmer it with some classic spicy and it's done. And then on the other end, I like to use our vegan vodka on homemade falafel and it's absolutely amazing. But it's a little you know more involved than the chili. so one's quick one's a little less and they're both on our website.
0: Awesome, awesome yeah definitely the senior website, the recipe section so awesome. thank you so much Melissa um, again really appreciate it and uh, best wishes and we'll be in touch.
1: Thanks to you as well. I appreciate it.